Welcome to Junior L's and Now What? Episode 134, Random Thoughts. It's been a long time since I've recorded last, and I know I've said that same statement relatively recently, and by relatively, I mean very relatively, because the last couple of times I recorded were also large gaps. I am trying to get back on track again, and hopefully this will just be the the gateway to that, but Either way, I'm here and I'm recording, so I'm going to do it. Unlike most of my previous episodes, where I have a very clear-cut outline and even word-for-word dialogue predetermined for these podcasts, where I've thought through all of what I want to say so that it comes out smoothly, this time I just wanted to record. I wanted to get some thoughts out. And over the last little while, I've had a lot of thoughts brewing that I felt like I should share. Uh, and see if it'll inspire thoughts. I don't know if this will inspire positive or glorious action on anyone's parts, but if nothing else, it might get you to think, and that's never a bad thing. Um, You hear the phrase, ignorance is bliss. We've already talked about that before. Um, Ignorance is the lack of progression, which ultimately isn't bliss because you're not moving forward. And so, uh, interestingly enough, moving up or down will be part of this podcast today. So I'm going to go ahead and dive into my first topic. So I'm going to read a passage, and then I'll talk about something for a minute, and then I'll come back to it. This is in the book of 2 Nephi, chapter 2, verse 13, uh, in the Book of Mormon. And uh, I believe this is where Lehi, um, before he dies, is giving final blessings and teachings to his uh, children, grandchildren, and so on and so forth. And this is what it says, And if you shall say there is no law... You shall also say there is no sin. And if you shall say there is no sin, you shall also say there is no righteousness. And if there be no righteousness, there be no happiness. And if there be no happiness, nor happiness, there be no punishment, nor misery. And if these things are not, there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not, neither the earth, for there could have been no creation of things, neither to act nor to be acted upon. Wherefore, all things must have vanished away. The specific line I want to state in here, or reiterate, and I'll come back to it, is neither to act nor to be acted upon. In the world of science, there is a concept or a principle uh, known as Kelvin. Uh, Kelvin is another measurement of uh, temperature. We've got Celsius, Fahrenheit, there's another one I'm not remembering, and then there's Kelvin. Kelvin is almost not a measurement of temperature in and of the fact it's more of a measurement of the movement of matter. I don't know much about this particular science other than the concept of zero Kelvin. Zero Kelvin is basically saying it is absolute zero. It is absolute frozen. Matter has stopped moving entirely. Now, if you think about that long and hard, is that even possible? Because in the world of science as we know it, one of the um, ultimate laws is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, we live in a universe of motion. After the quote-unquote Big Bang, which we'll get to in a minute, everything started moving. So is zero Kelvin even possible? Could we truly have something stop? We also know that another scientific principle is that uh, an object will stay in motion or remain in motion until acted upon by another object or something else, whether it be gravity or whatever the case may be. But in each one of those cases, things are still moving, even if they're moving in a different direction or maybe rebounding or however you want to define it. There's still motion. 
So is it possible for something to obtain zero Kelvin? Well, I would argue that there is a possibility, but I'm stepping outside of pure science here for the moment and entering to the realm of, um, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm using my ability to think, let's just call it outside of the box for a minute and try to combine a couple of principles together to come up with, yes, I think it's possible, but perhaps it's outside of our current base of knowledge and understanding of science. So let's go to the principle of the Big Bang. So this has been theorized for quite some time now, that at some point before the creation of our universe, there was this moment of time where all of the mass and matter was accumulated in one tiny speck. Everything was just crammed together. But if you think about it, based off our current understanding of science, that shouldn't be possible because for all the amount of effort and force it would require to push all of those things together, based off those other principles we just discussed, those things would try to be pushing themselves back out again. But think about this for a minute. This scripture that we just read that said, neither to act nor to be acted upon. So those two principles that I just mentioned are alluded to in that statement. What if God had the power, and we know he's supposed to be omniscient and omnipotent, all-knowing and all-powerful. What if one of his abilities was to turn off those principles? What if, for a moment... He could say, I'm going to turn off for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction and let things just simply be. If that were the case, then he could take all of the unorganized matter, as we hear in the scriptures, and cram them into a really, really, really tiny, tiny speck. And if, with infinite knowledge, understanding that the moment he turned those laws back on, the amount of force and pressure that was being conveyed onto those things, which in that state, they would be in zero Kelvin because we're talking about things in non-motion. Everything is ultimately frozen, but all that potential energy is there. Everything is, is vibrating almost like it just wants to move, but everything has to be put in just the right way so that when those laws or principles are reactivated, for lack of a better word, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably blaspheming by even saying this, but I firmly believe that this is possible, then you have the Big Bang. And all this matter goes spinning and spiraling out in some massive amount of speed. And we have talked about how the Earth is spinning on an axis around the sun. Our sun is on a solar system spinning around the galaxy. And we're moving away from the center of where all this matter and explosion began. Incredible speed. But like all things, if you know all of the variables and you're, you have the capability of calculating, it is possible to figure out how everything's going to end up, at least within the boundaries of physics as we understand it. And obviously, our understanding is limited. So again, I'm just brainstorming here. I'm just throwing out ideas and concepts. But it is interesting how the world of religion, the world of faith, and the world of sciences truly do have the potential to marry up. We just have to be willing to open ourselves up to the possibilities. The next thing I wanted to talk about is is a, a type of just entertainment. I've mentioned before um, Genshin Impact, this app. Uh, for a while there, I had quit playing it. And, um, and by that, I mean I'd log into it every day to get the daily bonus, but that was about it. But for any of you out there that are looking for something that is inclusive, uh, character development, storyline, uh, gameplay, uh, constantly building and developing, um, but something you don't have to dedicate horrendous amounts of time to, but if you want to, you can. 
Um, but I just really love the game. It is it is super involved, and uh, on the same token, uh, I feel like the visuals, even the music, if you have the chance to listen to it, I don't very often, because usually I'm playing it around other people, and I don't like imposing my particular choice of noises, music, dialogue, whatever you want to call it, on everyone else. Um, but it is truly amazing, so I'm just throwing that out there. I'm also going to throw out there uh, something that I have had uh, the pleasure of being able to finish, and it is a, a TV show on uh, Netflix called Lost in Space. Uh, obviously, there was an old black and white Lost in Space, you know, Danger Real Robbins, and then uh, there was a movie that was done, I can't remember if it was in the late 90s or early 2000s, that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I don't know how good it did in the box office or how the critics liked it, but I thought it was enjoyable. Um, but this TV show takes the cake. Uh, it, it spends more time on character development, I think, than it does on plot. Um, but I'm not necessarily saying that as a negative, um, because sometimes we need that. We need that character development to get that inspiration. Uh, and I really liked it. And I actually really liked the way they did uh, the story. Um, the show ran about four seasons, and I thought it ended on just the right note. Um, it's an easy family show. I'm not saying that there isn't some you know jump scares in it or some monsters, and there's certainly villains in it. Um, but uh, it was really cool and very well thought out, I thought. So uh, just throwing that out there, I, it, was, it was enjoyable. Um, <laughs> the next thing I'm going to mention is, as a family, we just recently d- did a road trip. We crossed through multiple states across the United States uh, over the course of a period of days, 10 days or so. And uh, in the course of doing that, uh, we were teaching one of my children how to drive. And I kudos to him. He did an amazing job, especially given that it was one of his early experiences. We spent a lot of time on the freeway. There was tons of construction work. And so, um, you know, no accidents, no real terrifying moments. He did a very good job. But one of the things that, that uh, if you know me, you know about me is I am one of the worst backseat drivers. Perhaps not the worst, don't get me wrong, but I am one of the worst. I have very, very high anxiety, especially when it comes to driving, and I have a very particular way I drive. In fact, between my wife and I, the reason I drive is to save our marriage because um, I would be constantly telling her what to do, and she'd probably open up the door and push me out while we were on the freeway. And so she just lets me drive because it helps make our, our life a little easier. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be better, but putting that into perspective, many, many hours in the car, me sitting in the passenger seat for some of that time while my uh, oldest is learning to drive and uh, you you tense up. And I was tensing up, leaning one direction for an extended period of time and ended up pinching my sciatic nerve. It's my first experience doing this. And the reason why I'm sharing it is um, it was, it was fascinating because, you know, I I couldn't sleep at night because my leg was spasming and I was in this pain. And I'm not saying this to get, you know, people to, oh, well, was me oh no you're in pain and all that kind of stuff no I'm sharing this because it's fascinating to me and uh, I will tell you that uh, yeah I did go on some medications to help with it you know muscle relaxants and steroids to release the swelling and that kind of stuff but the doctor gave me some stretches to do and it made a huge difference um, and it's one of those kind of things that I'm sure if you googled stretches for sciatica um, you can find them it's hard to explain what he gave me but uh, anyways it's just fascinating how we were able to correlate the, the trigger to uh, the event and then the solution. Um, so science is an amazing thing. Uh, the medical field, go, you know, doctors of practice. I mean, it was, it was fascinating. Um, the next thing I wanted to mention is uh, as, as a society where information is at our fingertips, extremely literally, um, I don't think that we take advantage of that nearly often enough. I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, cause I know I do constantly, hence this podcast. Um, I ask the question what or why, or I don't quite understand. 
And I have come to the determination. I determined this years ago, but I, th- I hope I'm utilizing it more and more is if I don't know, why shouldn't I try to find out? Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes the answer isn't out there. Um, even in the bounds of religion where, you know, we have faith that, you know, infinite knowledge is accessible to us through Heavenly Father. He's not going to just give it to us because we're not ready for all of that knowledge to be dumped into our brains. Hence why we have to, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept here a little and there a little. Um, crawl before we walk. We have to learn and progress together. Um, And so searching is a way where we can learn and grow and find and progress. And so I've started doing some research into pain um, because, as I've mentioned before, I've had my fair share of injuries. I have family members that have uh, issues, whether it's um, uh, arthritis or other things um, and other pain. And, And I've been doing a lot of research into pain nerves and that kind of jazz. And I discovered something that I did not know before. And I'm sharing this because my knowledge is extremely limited on this right now, but it was fascinating. Um, we take medication oftentimes for granted, like Tylenol and ibuprofen and Advil and that kind of stuff, very much for granted. And, and we don't really ask the question, oh, this helps with pain. Well, great, I'll take it. Or this helps with swelling. It's an anti-inflammatory. Well, what does that even mean? So there's a thing in the body, and I'm going to totally mispronounce it, so I'm going to spell it. It's P-R-O-S-T-A-G-L-A-N-D-I-N. I'm assuming it's pronounced pro pro staglidanin. Um, but anyways, it is something in the body. It's a unique type of thing that apparently it's very similar to a hormone. Um, and what it does is it triggers those kind of reactions in the body all throughout the body. Um, specifically by those reactions, I mean swelling or inflammation. It's your body's natural reaction to things when it thinks something is wrong. Oh no, you have an infection or no, oh no, you've been injured. Does that necessarily mean it's a bad thing? I would argue no. But as I mentioned before, I have a condition called Raynaud's and Raynaud's is really where your body's fight or flight reaction um, does one thing that people aren't necessarily aware of, and that is your extremities, your toes, your fingers, your ears, your nose. It reduces the size of those capillaries and and reduces the blood flow to those so it can focus more on the core. Is that reaction good or bad? Well, it's natural. Does that mean it's good or bad either? No, not necessarily, but it is something that does happen for a reason that can have a good consequence. What Raynaud's is, is basically that nerve's overreactive, meaning my hands and feet can get cold anytime, summer or winter, even if I'm not nervous or even if I don't have a fight or flight reaction. Well, the same is true with this reaction in the body, this this item in the body that I just mentioned that I'm not going to try to repeat, is that in some people it's overreactive or it's reacting kind of like an allergic reaction where it's being triggered when it doesn't need to be and it can cause pain. So things like Advil and ibuprofen, one of the things they do is is when they go into the body is they're supposed to stop this thing from working and they kind of like block it. So if you want to understand what anti-inflammatory means, it has to do with this. So I'm going to continue to do research on this uh, because I'm fascinated to understand the core of what causes this when it needs to happen and is there a way to reduce it or stop it uh, within the boundaries of you know safety. So anyways, just again, random thoughts. All right, mountain climbing. Um, one of the things I had a discussion with recently with some family members was this idea of uphill versus downhill, easy versus better. Um, and I won't go into all the details because uh, <laughs> I don't want to start a family feud or an argument. But what I do want to share is this idea of um, when we're talking about you know going through this life, a lot of times we talk about this idea of climbing, right? So you know while we're climbing this mountain of, of life or we're journeying, um, we often use the example of climbing a mountain because it is hard. No matter how good of shape you're in, there's obstacles in your way, there's weather, there's wind, there's animals, there's whatever you want to call it. 
things that make it challenging. Sometimes even, if not impossible, certainly improbable to go a certain path. Sometimes you have to go different ways. And I've thought long and hard about that. And this journey really should never be necessarily easy. Now, could it be better or harder or worse? And I would argue absolutely. And I've thought also about this idea that if somebody said that's the mountain that you need to climb, you have two choices. One choice is you can fight your way up to the top. The other choice is somebody can take you on a helicopter and fly to the top and drop you off. Either way, you'll make it to the top. So what does that mean? What's the difference between the two? And again, this is just me thinking random thoughts. But if you get dropped off at the top, or if you climb to the top, you see the same things, right? The scenery is the same. However, remember the conversation I had way back in one of my earliest podcasts about perspective. Now, your perspective is going to be radically different because as the person who's dropped off at the top, no matter how smart you are, no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how much knowledge you have gained from books, if you have not experienced, you cannot truly understand. There is a depth to knowledge that comes from doing that cannot be obtained any other way, with one exception, and that is through the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost has a unique ability to imprint things on us when we allow it to do that, when we allow him to do that. So if we take that out of the equation, there is a giant difference getting to the top of that mountain, uh, and depending on what happens when you get up there, the journey that you've taken. Because now you can say, I've climbed those rocks. I understand those rocks. I understand those obstacles. And you see things along the way. Sometimes you obtain things along the way. For example, if you get dropped off at the top and you're looking out at the world around you, you see something. You see buildings. You see scenery. You see clouds. But what if while you were climbing the mountain, you realized that your sight wasn't as good as you thought it was, and then you learned how to correct your vision, spectacles or otherwise, so when you get to the top, you literally can see more clearly. And there's so much about this journey of self-discovery and discovery of the world and this universe around us that comes from climbing the mountain that it is quite imperative for us. In fact, it goes to the plan of salvation itself. This is part of the reason why we weren't just simply granted perfection and godhood as Lucifer wanted, because there is an absence of our ability to truly comprehend and understand ourselves, what we're capable of, and what this universe is capable of. Because regardless of whether you are uh, omniscient or omnipotent, there are laws and rules that govern everything. In fact, God himself is almost by definition the rule and law. And so because of rules and laws, without understanding those, how could we control, manipulate, harness, and use those. And that understanding comes from doing. And then one of the last thoughts I wanted to share was uh, regarding, and this is probably another blasphemous thing I'm about to share, but in the scriptures all throughout, this is Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, all the canon work, we hear a lot about this idea, and it starts back with Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, where it talks about the hearts of the fathers turn to the children and the children to the fathers. And there's other minor variations on that terminology. But there's a giant consequence if that does not happen. And that is the earth shall be wasted at his coming. By his coming, we're talking about Jesus Christ's second coming, or at least one of those final comings at near or around the millennium. 
I've thought long and hard about this, and something occurred to me that has never occurred to me before, and I think this is worth thinking about. We have accepted the atonement, and the atonement, keep in mind, is this giant, broad series of events. It is not just one event that Christ was part of. The atonement started well before the creation and will end well after uh, the resurrection. Um, truly, we don't know that we understand the beginning and the end of it, hence why one of Christ's name is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. But what we do understand is that all throughout this journey, all throughout this this uh, this atonement series, and, and let's use the creation as an example, he didn't do all of the work himself. In fact, he talks about how he did it by the direction of his, by our Heavenly Father. And we also know that there were helpers. We know uh, Michael the Archangel was one of those who ultimately, we understand, is Adam, uh, our first father, and then later his wife Eve. Um, and, and we know others helped in this. So why should we just simply assume that the atonement, um, and we think of that primarily as what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, and then three days later the resurrection, was just him? And I don't mean that from the standpoint of other people participated in taking upon himself the sins of the world. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is that we understand that the atonement is supposed to be infinite and eternal. In other words, spanning time and space, beginning and end. But what if there is an extra piece to that? What if to make it infinite and eternal, we were asked to help? And by that, again, I don't mean talking, taking upon ourselves the sins of the world, but helping tie that infinite and eternal peace together. And by that, I mean the remembering our fathers and the fathers remembering us and so on and so forth, temple work, sealing all of God's children together beginning to end. Because what if that is the integral part of the atonement itself to make it possible for all of it to come to completion? Um, it talks about in the scriptures the Mosaic law being fulfilled. Well, we understand the atonement didn't really end with the resurrection. There is more to be done. But what if that more to be done involves us and we're a critical part of that, not just in relation to our own salvation, but to care enough about everyone else to do the temple work to tie all of God's creation together. So again, it could be blasphemous, but I am sharing that so that it gets your mind thinking because there's always more questions to ask and Heavenly Father doesn't ever do just one thing for one reason. There's always more. So I'm going to end my podcast there. Again, this is just me with random thoughts. I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope you understand that you're so worth it. And every time you feel like you're not, just remember that you are and that I know that you are. And the reason why I know that you are is because we're here. We're here because we have a mission to fulfill. And that isn't just simply to be born and then to die. It is to do something. And even if that to do something is to just bring a smile on someone's face once, you've still done something. And I conclude that with smile, be happy, remember you're worth it, and thank you for listening.